What does the word compassion mean to you? When have you experienced compassion in your life? And I want to know, what does compassion look like for you? And is it the same for everyone? You know, in the New Testament, the word compassion accompanies many of the Savior's miracles. In fact, it was actually the driving force behind the miracle that our unnamed woman experienced. Because as the scripture in Luke, he points this out, that he, Jesus, had compassion on her. And this unnamed woman never even spoke a single word to him. You are going to love her story. Welcome to Unnamed Women of the New Testament, a special bonus series from the Sunday on Monday podcast. And it's brought to you by LDS Living and Desert Bookshelf Plus. Now, if you're wondering, well, what's the Sunday on Monday podcast? It's awesome. It is a Come Follow Me weekly podcast where we take the Come Follow Me lesson for the week and we dig into the scriptures together. And if you want to know more about this specific podcast, click in the link in our description. Or you can also go to ldsliving.com slash Sunday on Monday, and you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Desert Bookshelf Plus, which is where you'll find the podcast. Now, my favorite thing about the podcast and this bonus series is that each week I get to invite friends to join me. We discuss the scriptures and then we talk about the application in our lives and why we need to know the stories. So this week and my co-host for this series is Camille Frank Olson. Hello, Camille. Hello. Oh, friend. Good to be with you. Oh, it's so good to have you here, especially for this woman, because we did not talk about her with our Come Follow Me lesson. We talked about some of the other women, and I knew that this was going to take some special time, and I wanted you to tell her story. So spread the news to everybody if you're listening. Have everyone listen, because the story about this unnamed woman is, I mean, it's compassion. It's the greatest, it is, it's a heart-wrenching story, and Camille has paid the price to learn about her. So Camille's going to tell us all about it, but before we get into her story, we're going to talk about compassion. So I thought this was really interesting, Camille. I learned that compassion in Greek, and it is a long word. Here's how phonetically it's said. Splanded nom zahi. Splanda, I mean, it's I can't pronounce Greek at all. Hebrew is my thing. But in Greek, the word compassion means your inward parts, but it comes from a different root word that means full, deep emotions. And I like how the dictionary says gut level compassion, like as deep inside as you could go to feel love and compassion. What are your thoughts about compassion? How do you define it? Well, I'm just, just going to say, do you know, and you might know this in Hebrew, the word compassion comes from the same root as womb. <gasps> yes. I love it. Isn't that, isn't that, and I think there is just something as you think about um, motherly love. Yes. Uh, that is just truly in the deepest parts of her, not just in, in carrying a child for nine months, but for that, the entire life, you know, of that child as mm-hmm. it grows. And so that, that calm with passion, um, if you look at it with the Latin um, background, it, 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 this is not a passive emotion. This takes everything that we have with, with our passion, with all our feeling, um, we give of ourselves. I love that you just brought up the word for it in Hebrew. It's one of my favorite things to talk about because it is the womb and this idea that the very thing that gives life is where compassion comes from. And that is going to play into our story today. Oh my gosh. I, that is perfect setup for this story. So let's go into Luke chapter seven. We're going to talk a little bit about this. And 
here's something that I thought was pretty neat, Camille. I did what you always taught me to do, which is context. You've taught me to look, what are the stories before and what are the stories after of the story that we're studying? And I was shocked to notice that both stories are about people who really never had any interaction with the Savior and their miracle was performed. Like they didn't have words with the Savior or that. So we have starting out, we have the healing of a centurion servant and the centurion sent people to the Savior on his behalf saying, can you heal my servant? So that was really interesting. And then the miracle happened. Then we're going to have the story about this widow of Nain. That's who we're going to talk about today. But then the story after is a story of another woman who is called a sinner. No words are exchanged with the Savior, but there's an incredible interaction in Luke chapter 7 to the point where the Savior forgives her with no exchange of words. So here are three stories. No words are exchanged, but miracles happen. Why do you think that is, Camille? What's Luke trying to tell us? Well, one thing I think that's an interesting thing that Luke does is often gives, teaches a principle or some attribute of the Savior, and he gives a male example of it and a female example of it. And in this case, there are two female examples of it. But that I think in, in many ways you can see in this, this one chapter of how actions and intent, desires of the heart, speak to the Lord, even when someone might not even be aware that he is there. Or in the case of the the widow of name, but in the other cases, without voicing their feelings or what has happened, like the woman who loved much, that was a sinner, but has changed, that we see at the end of chapter seven, or the centurion, um, who is an outsider to Jewish faith, that their their faith, their um, desires of their heart communicate to the Savior without them articulating them. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what Camille just said, without them articulating them, I want you to put that in your brain, put a little stamp on that, a little a little plug, if you will, because we're going to come back to that. That is the whole crux of this discussion, and I'm so grateful you worded it that way. We're going to show you some neat scriptures. If any one of you are listening and wondering, does the Lord, is he aware of you? Maybe there are a prayer you haven't gone to ask yet because you're just unsure. You're not certain if you can ask. This is the episode for you. Or even if you just can't even think of the words, how do you? Oh, yeah. How do you even put into words my yearning, my need? Yes. You just. You can, you, I think there's just some times that we haven't even figured out what it is that we're really seeking for. Oh, I like that. You're right. Like, I don't even know how to ask for what I need because I don't know what I need. So you're absolutely right. Okay. Think about this. Everybody, I know people listening have something in their life right now that fits perfectly within what you just described. So let's dive into Luke chapter seven. And the story starts in verse 11. And As we go into this story, it tells us in verse 11, it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. So here's something about Nain. It's seven miles southwest of Nazareth. And some people believe that the Savior may have known who this woman was, may have been aware of the family because it was close to where he grew up. That's kind of something we want to know. It could be, maybe it isn't, we don't really know, but that's just a great thing to kind of think about. And we have a situation here with this woman. And I'm going to let Camille tell this story. 
but it was really beautiful. I read a talk by Elder Ulysses Suarez, and he calls this miracle in his conference talk one of the most tender miracles of the Savior's earthly ministry. So having said that then, Camille, tell us the story of this woman. Okay, let's go back to what you just read in verse 11. And I think something else, as you've put this in context, that is very important. And it came to pass the day after. So where was he the day before he comes into Nain? Healing the centurion's servant. Up in Capernaum. Yes. That's about 20 miles away. So I think this is a, something else to keep in mind. And it, it, I think, adds perhaps some strength to the idea he could have known this woman. What drives him to leave Capernaum day one to be able to arrive, walk right into the, to the gate of the city at the precise moment that this man, young man is being taken to be buried? The timing of this is incredible. It's like it has been the Savior orchestrates it. He's, he's at point A, but he's got to be at point B at this time. My guess is he's walking throughout the night, and he's walking at a very quick, fast pace. And he's taking all of his, apost- his disciples with him, and they're panting after him. Why do we have to go so fast? I want to say, and let's be clear, because one of the most shocking things for me when I finally made it to Jerusalem and to Israel is, and I don't know why, in my mind, I just thought it was going to be a flat desert. It is mountainous regions. It, this is not a nice little walk. It, like everywhere the Savior goes, when you're reading the scriptures and it says he went back and forth to these cities, you need to know. He's going up and down. He's traversing mountains or big, gigantic hills, ridges, up and down valleys. I mean, We're it going is, around the hills. Yes. Like, it's crazy to me. It's not just an easy walk. So I like how you frame this at night with other people to make it to the city of Nain. At the perfect time, as you at said. At the very perfect time, because people were buried the day they died. You don't wait. I mean, there was no embalming. Um mm-hmm the body starts decomposing almost immediately and you get them into, into the grave. And so verse 12. Now, when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. Um, Okay. You think about what this meant for this woman. She's a widow. Her husband is gone. She has this only son. When he now he is gone, what is the future for this woman? It's it's so there, sad. It is so sad. There's, There's no future. There yeah. is nothing. There's no welfare system where the state comes in and takes care of her. There's no, I'm gonna go get some training to get a job. Um, someone will employ me and helping in their little trade. She's on her own. Mm-hmm. And this is where you see, um, I think, just some of the, the real sad situations where, you know, widows are truly on the marginalized area of society. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I think just how everyone else around that would see that. But look, the last part of that verse, and much people of the city was with her. I'm sure not only were they coming out, this is a major event when someone dies, 
but you can you hear the mourning, the wailing, the loud cries that all these women that are with them, it's part of the tradition as far as a funeral procession. And in the midst of this just almost chaotic noise of, of sadness, Jesus comes in. And I think people don't even notice him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And when, verse 13, chapter 7 of Luke, verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. That's just about like, what? How do you not weep? There's nothing yeah. else to do for her. And he doesn't get any reaction. Again, I don't know if she even looked up. He came and touched the beer that this bed that the dead body is, is being carried out on. And they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. I think to, they're clarifying he truly is alive. Mm-hmm. And he delivered him to his mother. It is, it's a tender, tender story. I mean, when he delivers that son to her brother, he delivers her life, her yes. future, her, her security, her hope. Um, it's all delivered in that fell swoop. And there is no exchange. There's nothing that we hear, but you can feel her gratitude. She is speaking through her. her, You can feel this prayer of gratitude pouring out from her without any words being spoken. Right. And, and it is poignant. I just love to think that, that then she lifts up her head and sees him that she would say, oh, yes, this is Mary's son, Jesus. I don't know. But um, it, it, is, it is tender that the Savior, it's a pure free gift, it seems like, that he is giving to her in that moment. Well, and Camille, when you had us look at verse 12, when it says, and much people of the city was with her. For anyone who's watched the Chosen series, there is a, a, an episode where the Savior comes in to heal Jairus' daughter. And he walks into a crowd of people who are weeping and wailing because they would hire professional mourners. People, that was their job to come in and mourn with people who are mourning, which I think is so interesting that it's actually one of our baptismal covenants now. Like, you don't have to hire anyone to mourn with you. We've got a built-in system for people to mourn with you. But right here, there would have been so many people in their mourning crying and it's new this this young man has had died that day and it adds so much more to this verse 13 weep not when that's literally what people in the room are being prayed to do and i just wonder how many people are like who's this guy like weep not this is the most sad thing you know i wonder if there was more in this context where someone maybe grabbed the savior's arm and said no we're supposed to cry that's what we're here to do let's weep with this woman and so that's a big ask weep not when that's all you can do. Well, it is, it is faith that in the, in the moment of your greatest distress, when you cannot imagine a scenario at all where you would be anything but weeping, that you can see a future. What did, what did Jesus say at the end of the last verse of what John 16 verse 33 I love this verse. The very end of that verse. Oh, yes. 
where he says, in the world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is just moments before they go to Gethsemane, where he will suffer that bleed from every pore, where he'll be arrested and mistreated by those that take him to Caiaphas's home, where he'll be scourged and mistreated in front of Pilate, and then eventually put on the cross where he'll suffer um, the pains from Gethsemane, as well as the pain from crucifixion. And he says, yep, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. And he says it in present tense. I have overcome the world as if what's coming up has already occurred. In the same way to this woman, he is saying, weep not. It's going to be okay. It's going, life is wonderful. Be of good cheer. Mm -hmm. I have overcome the world. And she gets a glimpse of it with her son coming back to life. But that is truly just minuscule compared to what he gives to all of us through his atoning sacrifice. Yes. Thank you, Camille, for pointing that out and connecting it to the Savior in light of him about to walk into Gethsemane. That was beautiful. You know, going back to the story about the widow of Nain, and we've talked about this at the beginning, is that no words were exchanged. You can imagine, and anyone who's gone through the grieving process, what would you ask for? It it wouldn't even be within her realm to say, bring back my son. That's not even an option in her mind. And you know, and, and I like how you describe this, she is so sad because her son is gone and she will be the most marginalized in society. There is no hope for her. There are so many things she could be praying for, like, you know, let me win the lottery. I don't know. Just like, how am I going to survive? There are millions of scenarios going through her brain at this moment. I think she should be saying, take me. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm out of here. Well, in fact, I went to a funeral on Saturday and it was this beautiful, my friend's mother passed away and the husband got up to speak and he's, that's how he started his talk. He said, I have to tell you after she passed in our home, I left my family and I went into another bedroom and got on my knees. And my only prayer was take me, let, let me go now. And it was so touching because then he got up from the bed and walked out into the room where he saw all of his children and 60 of his grandchildren. And he said, the spirit was very clear. This is where you belong right now. But that was his reaction. Like, take me, let me go. I don't, there is no good cheer as far as I'm concerned. My wife is gone. And so she doesn't utter anything. And then we have one of the, one of my favorite scriptures about when you don't know what to pray for. And let's go to Romans chapter eight, verses 26 through 28. Before we read these verses in Romans chapter 8, Elder Suarez points out in this story that Christ is capable of clearly seeing all facets of a given situation. Because he's omniscient, he can he knows it all, all facets of your given situation, whatever it is you're going through right now in this moment. And if you don't know how the words, let's read this. Camille, will you please read for us Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now we just have to underline groanings which cannot be uttered. I love the Joseph Smith translation. It is 
Instead of groanings, which cannot be uttered, it is strivings, which cannot be expressed. I mean, both are beautiful. Tell me your thoughts. Well, again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. A lot of times we don't know what to pray for. And and many times as we try to pour out our heart to God, it is with groanings. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's crying, it's moaning, it's frustrations. But it's like the Spirit communicates what we are trying but unable to express to the Father, and He understands and responds to what we truly need. Mm -hmm. And he did that for the widow. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Continue reading for us verse 27 and 28 in Romans chapter 8. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. Thank you. I, I love verse 31. If God be for us, oh. who can be against us? I mean, there he is. There's the ultimate him being for us. Amen. That is the ultimate him being for us. I like that. And that is being of good cheer. You can be of good cheer when you know that He, God is for us. And God was for the widow of Nain, and God was for the son and the family. I would, I, I would love to know the rest of the story when it comes to the widow of Nain. I can't wait to find that out. Like, what happened to the family? Did the boy get married? Do they have kids? Was this story told? I hope it was told forevermore. But, you know, I also hope that there was something in that little village that as they saw what Jesus did, that maybe there was a little hint that maybe we could do something more for widows. And I, oh, part of that, as I think of this, is in James chapter 1, um, James, the brother of Jesus, most likely, another mm-hmm. son uh, of Mary's, defines pure religion and undefiled. Part of that is visiting the fatherless and the widows, looking out for the fatherless and the widows. Um, I, I, I don't know if... Like we say that maybe Joseph, Mary's husband, died um, earlier because we don't hear of him after Jesus is 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Perhaps James's first idea of what it meant to be um, a worshiper of God that really made a sense is the way people treated him as fatherless and his mother as a widow. But... That is pure religion. And I think this setting and what Jesus does in in feeling so much love and compassion for a mother is an example for others in that village to, to practice pure religion mm-hmm. by being more compassionate to those who are without. And in, in many ways, so often it's widows and fatherless that seem to be foremost in his mind. In just a couple of years, it will be his mother. Right. That will be bearing a son. And I think his feeling and and love for his mother is also communicated in his compassion for this mother and for all mothers. Mm -hmm. Well, in light of the fact that on the cross, he asks the apostles to take care of his mother. 
Oh, beautiful. Okay, so thinking back to the scripture in Romans, which we talked about, and I I love how we beautifully set this up, that there are sometimes you just can't even find the words to ask what you pray for. Um, Camille, I'm just wondering, I want to know, connecting it to Elder Suarez's quote, in your life, the life you've lived and all your experiences, I'm wanting to know, how have the facets of your life been seen? Do you have a story where maybe you didn't know the words to pray, but the Lord knew what you needed? Yes. Um, the other day I was thinking of the Robert Frost poem, The, the Road Less Traveled. Oh, yeah. And way comes after way. I, I just think, though, so many times you on, I only see maybe a step ahead of me or even that's dark, but you feel an inclination to move forward this direction, this way. And you don't know how long or how far that way, but way, then a door opens that you hadn't seen before. And then way comes after way. And, and it's not until you look back that you start seeing this pattern and that there was a, a design about it all along. Um, I, I had no idea what to pray for for my life other than marriage and family, because that's what I'd been taught was the only (laughs) real Mm -hmm. path that was open. And yet the Lord had another plan for me. And it was this way after way. And I took the the road less taken and it made all the difference. Um, But it's again, only looking in hindsight that I see this design of God. And I I just, I just really think that too often we have a very narrow idea of what our life should look like. And, and maybe particularly we as women um, as far, and maybe of my generation of what would be appropriate, what is acceptable, what is, um, a meaningful way to live your life. And, and when things don't quite go that way, it's sometimes you just, you know, what do you ask Heavenly Father for? Um, short of taking me off of this path and putting me on the path that you, it seems in your mind, everyone else is on. And, and uh, so I love this verse in, in Romans 8, uh, when I found it, I, I resonated because I thought, oh, yeah, that's what I was doing so much of my life. Yeah. Not knowing. Uh, you don't want to take agency away from others. You can't do that. So what can I do? What, what, what should I be doing? Um, what is appropriate? And having no sense as far as what was possible, but he knew. Yeah. And I like the word in that verse, the spirit itself maketh intercession for us. That word intercession, mm-hmm. how heavy that word is and how much it means that, mm-hmm. that the spirit on my behalf is going to petition the Lord for what I need because I don't even know how to say it. Mm-hmm. And I remember our friend Laurel, she tells a great story where she did not even know the words to say. And she says the only word she could say was, father. And Mm -hmm. then she just wept Mm -hmm. on her knees. Mm -hmm. 
And that she, to this day, says it's one of the most powerful prayers of her life. And it was one word. And so I think sometimes we feel like we have to go to the Lord with this flowery prayer. And then, and it can be just one word. And then you pray, let the spirit intercede. I don't know how to ver- verbalize it, but I, and I, like I said, let me make it to the next path, the next door, the next entrance of where I need to be for my whole plan, my life plan. And yeah. the widow of Nain did not go the way she thought it would. Yeah. In she would any have thought about like, like you said, who would have thought of praying for this, but you can just hear her praying father and not knowing where to go from there. Yeah. It was dark in front. She could not see another thing ahead of her. And I, I have to just say this quote, because I really like how you said this in your book, Women of the New Testament, with the widow of Nain's story, you said, through his atoning sacrifice, broken hearts are healed, families are restored, and life is forever better. And I can't think of a better way to end the story of the widow of Nain. It really that happened to her and life was forever better. And it will be because it's exactly what the Lord knows that you need at that time in your life. That's what he does. It's why he's, why we can be of good share because again, he is for us. Who can be against us? Doesn't even matter. So thank you, Camille. Great story. That's the widow of Nain. So everyone go and read it and tell her story. I think that's the other thing too. Let's make sure we're telling these women's stories because those are the stories Oh, we can learn so much. So thanks, friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Unnamed Women of the New Testament. The Sunday on Monday study group is a Desert Bookshelf Plus original brought to you by LDS Living. It's written and hosted by me, Tammy Uselak Hall. And today our beautiful study group participant was Camille Frank Olson. You can find more information about our podcast at ldsliving.com slash Sunday on Monday. It is produced by Cole Wissinger and me and edited by Haley Hyam. It is also mixed by Mix at Six Studios and our executive producer is Aaron Hallstrom. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. And please remember, God is for you because you are his favorite.